And so you just snatch it? Yeah. Like maybe there'd be a different verse and it might be a good word for it. So you might as well let it roll and see what happens. Never know. But thank you. I appreciate your reading that. Uh, what you have here, uh, Amasai or Amasa, if you look in different places. But Amasai here, uh, he's got something to, to speak to David. But if you really look at that verse, it's that God has something to speak to David. And, uh, and so that's what you see happening here. There's a blessing that's about to come forth, that comes forth through Amasai. And that blessing is something that God has for David through him. And I want you to just be open to that, that God likes to, wants to, desires to use us to bless people. And part of us allowing for that is to allow the Holy Spirit to really move through us. Uh, the, the verses here, it talks about how the Holy Spirit uh, came on him. Well, really what that is, the word picture that that is, is that the Holy Spirit clothed himself in Amasai. So, if you, if you think about it in that way, you've got the Holy Spirit, and he stepped into Amasai like a suit, right? <laughs> like he just put him on. You know, I, I, you ever, Men in Black, yes. you know that movie? Yeah. When the alien takes over the farmer guy? Oh, no. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the Holy Spirit puts on Amasai like a suit. Now, I want you to think about our lives like that if we're that given over. Alright? If we're that completely and utterly given over to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. That the Holy Spirit, He can clothe Himself in you or me. And that's really a kind of a weird picture, I know. I know that was a weird example. But it's a good example, if you can picture that, of the Holy Spirit clothing Himself in us. That we are given over to Him. That we are uh, that, and, and I mean really, really that submissive to Him and to what He wants to do. That pliable by Him. And because in this case, He just all He wanted to do he wanted to bless David. And he was also setting something up in Amistad's life and also setting something up in David's life that would be a relationship that would be important to both of them and important to what God was doing. But it starts with, and in this case it started with Amistad being willing, being available, being pliable, being soft enough, being submissive enough to allow the Holy Spirit to clothe himself in him. So that he could actually bring this blessing forth. He could speak this blessing forth over David. And David responded to the blessing. And a relationship was formed here. That would be an important relationship. But again, where does that start? Well, it starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with a willingness. It starts with... Applyability. It starts with a softness of heart, a softness of will, a softness of uh, our, our desire to control everything. And if you happen to be a control freak or quasi-control freak, uh, you need to really examine that in your life. Because it, it will hinder you from seeing something like this taking place through you. It will hinder that. And so I want to encourage you that, that if you can lay that aside, and, and I really want to encourage you too not to see that as a good thing. Not to see being a control freak or quasi-control freak as being a good thing. Because in some circles in the world that we live in, people look at that and it's portrayed as something that might be a desirable characteristic, but that's not something that God really uses. It's not something that God really desires. It's not something that is really working in our favor to be a vessel of the Holy Spirit. It's also not working in the favor of the kingdom for God to really use us for what He desires to do through our lives. And because of those things, that's an area that we can all look at in our lives and we can lay down some of those tendencies. 
Now, what do I mean by lay them down? I mean give them up. Give up what? What I just said. You give up that control. You give up that, that need to have to hold on tight to everything. Because there's a lot of things in life that if you hold them too tight, it, it just doesn't go very well. Remember Tommy Boy? Yeah. And his sail. And he had that sail. And he was petting his sail. And he was holding his sail. But, but because he squeezed it too tightly and he held on too tightly, he lost it. You remember? Yeah. But when he relaxed, when he relaxed, he got the waitress to fire up the grease grill and make him some chicken wings. <laughs> when she said no to start with, he was able to convince her to make him some chicken wings because he relaxed into it. Well, we need to relax into it. We need to relax into lots of stuff. We need to relax into, into lots of life situations that are all around us. We need to relax into our relationship with God. We need to relax into the Holy Spirit. I mean, if God hasn't convinced you yet that He's looking out for you, if God hasn't convinced you that He has the best for you, if God hasn't convinced you that He loves you, if God hasn't convinced you that, that, that He is, has you and your favor on His list of things to do today, then you're not paying attention. Okay? Because He does stuff all the time to show us that and just pay attention to it and you'll begin to get convinced if you're willing to pay attention to it. If you're willing to notice when God's looking out for you, you're willing to notice when God steps in on your behalf, you're willing to notice when He's going about His perfect will and how His perfect will is so good and so right and in the best thing for us. If you're willing to notice those kinds of things, then I think it makes it easier for us to just relax into Him more and more and more. You know, I say ridiculous things all the time, like God's smarter than you. That's a ridiculous statement. It is a ridiculous statement, but people aren't convinced of it. That is ridiculous. God, God knows what's best for you. That's a ridiculous statement. Of course He knows what's best for you. He can see, I, you know... A hundred years in the future. He can see next year. He can see the past. He can see the future. He sees right now. He sees right now better than we could ever see. And he knows what's best for us. Well, yeah, of course he does. But to even entertain that he doesn't, it's ridiculous. And yet people do. And not being able to just relax into him, not being able to relax into his will, to rest in him, to find a rest and in who He is, is a real hindrance to God using us. You ever notice some of the people that God uses are weird? <laughs> no, no, I mean that. They are weird. Some of the people that God really uses, like for the miraculous, or God uses for the supernatural, or God uses to speak His Word, or God uses to teach, or that God uses to, to reveal things, some of those people are really weird. And there's a reason that God uses them. Because in a lot of ways, those types of people just don't care. Right? They, they pass some threshold in their life where they just stop caring. Like what people thought. Or they stop caring about what other people thought was important. Or they stop caring about people having certain expectations over them, or whatever it was that would hinder them. And they were able to just relax and rest into what God had for them. Maybe it's the fact they were so weird that's all they had. Who knows? But the fact of the matter is, is that they can rest into it. They can rest into God. And they just do, and they clothe, they, the Holy Spirit is able to clothe Himself in them. And they just go about doing as they're submissive to Him, as they they give themselves over. They, they, the Holy Spirit just goes about doing what He wants to do in them and through them. No matter how weird it looks, no matter how weird it sounds, no matter what anybody else would think, they've just relaxed into it enough that the Holy Spirit just uses them for great and mighty deeds. Does it make any sense? Maybe not sometimes. Other people going to understand? Probably not. Probably not. But it doesn't mean it's not God. 
It doesn't mean it's not what God's doing. It doesn't mean that that's not what the Holy Spirit has for a person or people or however He's going to move and whatever He's going to do. Because all of those things are up to Him, not up to us. The only thing that we can possibly do is hinder it. Alright? You give yourself over and say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Clothe yourself in me. Make me your little meat sock and speak through <laughs> me or whatever. You know, we give ourselves over to that. The only thing that we can really mess up is to hinder what he wants to do. Okay? Alright? Just hinder it. And, and, it's, and the only hindrance really is a fear of what? Looking stupid? A fear of what? What other people think? A fear of what? Not, you know, what is it? Alright? Because I want to tell you something. That, that thing that people say all the time was, I'm just wondering if it was the Lord. That is not really true. Okay? That's just not true. You have a different fear, and you've learned to shroud it in that excuse. But that is not really your fear. Alright? Because you don't worry about that other times. I'll tell you that right now. You're going to go about doing whatever you're going to do, and you ain't so worried about that. Okay? So there's some other fear that you're, you've learned in your Christian vernacular to shroud by saying that. You're hiding something. And I just want to bust through that or break through that and just say, you know, whatever it is, what's holding you back? Seriously, what's holding you back? God wants to use us. God wants to use you. God wants to clothe himself in you for some awesome, weird stuff. <laughs> he does. If you just allow it. If you just allow it. Because there's a lot of awesomely weird stuff that God wants to do in the world that we live in. And, and I want to be a part of that. I do. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of some weird stuff. I want to be a part of some miraculous stuff. I want to be a part of some stuff that other people don't understand. Right. So the thing I've found is that when people are really looking for God and they're really hungry for God, they don't care if they understand it or not. They just know it's real. I don't care if I understand it. I don't, I've never had the need to have to explain everything I do using some Bible verse. Never. And I know that sounds, ooh, you're going to get in trouble now. Well, I hope so. I'd love to get in some trouble. Alright? As far as that. I'd love to get in some trouble as far as that. It's like, oh, well, you know, you guys are doing some weird stuff, right? Yeah. Good. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. You know, a number of years ago, some of the weird stuff that was happening were people making animal noises. Uh, you know, they get they get overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit and start making animal noises. Do I need to explain that? No, I don't care. I don't need to explain that. I don't need to come up with some proof verse in order to explain that. I was, some of the people that I saw that God was moving on, I've known them for years. And I knew them for years. And, and there were being... Something was happening to the Holy Spirit with them. And the reason I can say that is they weren't strangers to me. I knew them. And so, and so God was moving in that way. Great. I don't need to explain that. Well, there were other times that, that God was doing things and, and when God was using laughter or when God was using other things, like, do I need to have some kind of verse to explain all that? No, there's just manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's get it. You know, some people experienced over the years that, you know, teeth being replaced. Uh, the bus's uh, aunt. Uh, had teeth that fillings and teeth that were replaced with gold in her mouth. Do I need to explain that? No. No, I don't need to explain that at all. It's a miracle. It's kind of by definition. It's kind of by definition. It's like miracles happen. All right, good miracles, good. Do I need to explain miracle gold teeth? Being a little tight-fisted on that one, aren't you, lady? Gold teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh my God. All these years. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, or other places like there'd be there'd be services and, and there are services that I was a part of that I'd seen where there'd be like this, this iridescent stuff falling in the air. You know? And and at the end people would sweep it up off the carpet. It'd be like these little gold flakes coming down during the services. Can I explain that? No. And so, over the last 20 years, God's done a lot of weird things. 
be sad. And, and it's not up to me to somehow justify what God wants to do. And that's what I mean by what I'm saying. And if people want to judge that, let them judge it. I just want it. I just want what God's doing. I want whatever manifestation He chooses to bring. That's what I'm interested in. And so I want to put myself in a position and say, God, alright, Holy Spirit, clothe yourself in me. And so when I read this verse, you know, it's like the Holy Spirit came on Amasai. Or in other words, he clothed, that's literally what it says, he clothed himself in Amasai. You know, we would say today, if we wanted to put that in our vernacular, we'd say, oh, he was inspired. Well, it's more than that. Now, we would say something like, oh, yeah, he was very enthusiastic about it. <laughs> well, that was a little more than that. All right, all right, all right. Because you have to look deeper. You need to look deeper into what it's saying. He's not just saying he was enthusiastic. He's not just saying that he was inspired, although that's probably true, but there's more to it. When you get close, when the Holy Spirit closed himself in you, in me, there's something deeper to that. Something that's like, and the way the Spirit is described here, it's like a spirit of valor. Or, uh, what's another word for valor? Anybody? Bravery. Bravery, courage, right? And, and the idea is, is that as the Spirit clothed himself in Amasai, it was the making of a hero. Is what was happening. A real hero. Not because he wanted the praise and the glory, but because that's what God does. And that's what God was doing in him. And so this guy, if you follow, I mean, by the end of this, it talked about how David took this guy and he became head of the 30. We were talking a little bit about the 30 last week. And the 30 were heroes, of which this guy was the head. But how did he become a hero? Well, he went out and he did marvelous things, but how did he go out and do marvelous things? How did the 30 go out and do marvelous things? Listen, the Holy Spirit closed himself in these men. And the Holy Spirit is a spirit of valor. Spirit of courage. He is a spirit that makes heroes. And these men went out and they did supernatural things. When you read about some of the ways that they defeated people, how they went against people, and it was, it was unbelievable odds that they were able to defeat the enemies that they faced. Unbelievable. Like, like is this impossible? Yeah, it is impossible. Except for nothing is impossible with God. And so they went out and they did these things. They went out and they accomplished these things. They went out and God used them in these things. Literally, they were clothing for the Holy Spirit. And it's a powerful, powerful life that each one of them was able to live. And so, here you have this guy, Amasai. And he pledged allegiance to David. That's why he came up to David. So, the Holy Spirit closed himself in Amasai, and the Holy Spirit in Amasai pledged allegiance to David. And basically, he told him, he gave him a poem. Because what you read there, when he's talking, that's a poem, it's poetry. And so he spoke in poetry. And, and it's just like the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to just listen. It's just like the Holy Spirit to... Go do something that is, this is, what are they, setting up a little army here? Just like the Holy Spirit to set up the army, these guys are going to be brutal killers. They were going to be super effective at what they were going to be set up to do. These are the mighty men. This was the head of the mighty men. And he's pledging his allegiance to David. The Holy Spirit, through him, Pledging his allegiance, how does he go about doing it? Poetry. Now, 
Now, that's, that's God. That's the God we serve. And I want you to hear that. That's the God you serve. That he's, gonna, he's setting up a relationship here between David and his mighty men. And these guys are going to be brutal killers. Meaning, they're super effective at what they're going to do. They will be above and beyond what people can normally do. Above and beyond their skill sets. Above and beyond their experiences. Above and beyond anything that they've had. And this whole relationship is being set up for this small army and this guard that's going to be around David. They're going to be with him. They're going to protect him. And they're going to lead the way with him. Until he's king of Israel. But it's done in poetry. And to me, that says something about the God we serve. It says something about the, the artistic side of who he is. That says something about the importance of that. Something about the importance of the style of how he did it. Which is, to me, awesome. So, I mean, if you think in terms of military, I mean, he just could have done it just military style, right? Bang, bang, boom. You're done. Everybody's got their orders. Let's march. No, but he does it with poetry. It's kind of weird. Yeah, sort of. Except for how much of the expressions of David are poetry. I mean, he's a man after God's own heart, so we see him as that, and you say that, but, I mean, David was a, a killer. He was a killer. Like, he did no joke. Lots of blood on that guy's hands. But, man, that guy could write a song. He played his instruments. He sang. He, he wrote poetry and music and song. Yeah. you think that would appeal to the Persians. Yeah? Because they're, they, consider them, they used to consider themselves warrior poets. Right. Before the Arabs came. Right. And that's and he's a perfect example of a warrior poet. But God's a perfect example of a warrior poet. That's why it's desirable. That's why the Persians or even other cultures, that's a desirable thing. That's been lost. Uh that that we just don't we don't have that in our hearts and minds anymore and yet that's the God that we serve. So he begins to speak over this over over David in 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 poetry. But what you want to do is you want to read his words. Why do you want to read his words? Because you want to learn from his words. What do you want to learn from his words? You want to learn how to testify your affection. How to testify your love to God from this. Because that is what Amasai was doing. He was testifying his love and he was testifying his affection for David through this poetry. And you can learn how to express yourself better by reading what he says in, in testifying of your love and your affection toward God. So learn from his words. I mean, that's the beauty of the Psalms too. He said, you read through the Psalms, you start learning how to express yourself better. You start reading through the Psalms, you start learning how to worship better. You start reading through the Psalms, you start learning how to see God better, to understand God better, to understand your own emotions better, to understand your reactions to situations around you better, through the eyes of somebody else. How to express yourself in those times. Well, I'm really frustrated. I don't know what to say. I bet you there's a Psalm that will help you with that. If you'll learn it, if you'll read it, I bet you there's a psalm that, that will teach you how to express yourself when you're frustrated. Or there's a psalm that will teach you how to express yourself when you're really, really happy. Or a psalm that will teach you how to express yourself when you're really, really sad. I bet you there is. And so it's important to learn from the words of those that have come before. And so... They were pledging, he, this, this man was pledging his allegiance to David. Now remember, David is a criminal. 
David the criminal. Well, they all knew he was the rightful king. Did they? <laughs> Did they? If he's the rightful king, why is he hiding in a cave? If he's the rightful king and the man after God's own heart, why is he running? Why is he on the lamb? Why? Yeah. And so these this guy, this guy, he's just pledging his allegiance to David before David has any power. He's pledging his allegiance to David while David is a criminal. He's pledging his allegiance to David while David's on the run. While David's hiding. He's pledging his allegiance to David before David can do anything for him. Yeah. David can't do one thing for him right now. But he's pledging his life to him. That means something. That really means something. And then that's exactly what's going on here. And it's important to see it that way. Pledging his allegiance before he can really help. Now Jesus had something to say about allegiance. Somebody look at Matthew 12.30. Matthew twelve thirty. And somebody else look at Luke eleven twenty three. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Who's saying that? It's red. Is it red? It's red. Mm -hmm. All right, pray for the power. <laughs> Good. How about um, Luke eleven twenty three? All right. Now you understand Jesus before his death and resurrection. Now, what do we know about him? Well, he, we don't know much about his early life. We get one story from when he's like 12 or 13. And then we pick up the story. He's the son of a carpenter who uh, ends up going and starting a ministry. Gets baptized. This miraculous event takes place there. Then the miracles start and some of the teachings start. All those things are happening. But a number of times during his ministry, people gathered up stones to kill him. Other times they went out to grab hold of him so they could throw him. At one time they ended up, they, they tried to grab him so they could throw him off a cliff. And so he, he wasn't uh, universally beloved. <laughs> Alright? He, he had some people didn't like him. And he had some powerful people that really didn't like him. So even the crowds, the people that normally liked him, sometimes they would turn on him. And then you had the powerful people, like the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the scribes, those people. They didn't like him at all. Now, not all of them, but because we know Nicodemus liked him, and there were others. But for the most part, they just did not like him. And they were out to get him. And so, here you had a person, polarizing person, in Jesus, who people loved him, people hated him. People wanted to be with him, people wanted him dead. And you have the disciples that had, are, are pledging themselves to him. They left everything to follow after him. And they didn't understand everything that was going on all the time. They didn't understand what he was doing all the time. They couldn't. And he would say things. And they obviously ignored some of the things he said because he explained to them what was going to happen. Death, resurrection, all that. They ignored that. Couldn't understand it. And we know they ignored things that he said. We, we understand that. And we know they didn't always know what to do with what he was saying. We understand that. We understand that it wasn't something that they looked at him and said, oh, well, this guy is awesome. Let's get ourselves on his coattails. He's going to take us to the promised land, so to speak. But he, it wasn't like that. He didn't. And, and so he makes a statement here, and he says in those two places we just read, say, if you're not with me, you're against me. If you don't gather with me, you scatter. And it's pretty. It's a pretty strong statement. It was a strong statement for his disciples, but it was also a strong statement for the other people that followed him. Because there were others that followed him. 
We know that there are people that follow him. They're like his logistical crew. They helped him out. And they, they provided with him for food and, and stuff that he needed. And we know that there were others that followed after him that stuck with him. I mean, you think about when he sent out the 72, or the 70, whatever your Bible says, to go do miracle signs and wonders and to preach the gospel. Who were those guys? I mean, seriously, who were those guys? We don't know. But there were a bunch of them that were there, and they were following him long enough that he felt confident enough to pray over them and send them out with the gospel message. Right? Can you get to the 120 in the upper room? Who were the 120? Well, there were people that had followed after him, people that stuck around after the, the crucifixion, people that stuck around after the resurrection. I'm not even talking about the crowds. I'm just talking about the people that were close enough to hear him talking and following him around and, and being a part of what he was doing. And so he said to them, he said, if you're not with me, you're against me. If you don't gather with me, you're scattering. And so there were a certain number of people, same as happened with David here, there were a certain number of people that resolved in and of themselves that they were going to abide with him, and that was it. And you, you see this guy, Emma Simon, he, he had nothing to gain from this, I don't think. He just resolved in and of himself, he's going to abide with David, and that was it. And that was the resolution. Now, did everybody agree with that? Likely not. Everybody doesn't agree with anything. Right? You make any decision on the face of the earth. Everybody going to agree with it? No. No, there will always be somebody. There's always somebody. It could be every other person agrees, but there's somebody who doesn't. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, learn to live with that, because that's the way it goes. It is the way it goes, because not everybody's always going to agree, and they don't always agree. And so, you think about these guys following after Jesus. How many people didn't agree with that? I mean... Do you really think Peter's mother-in-law agreed? I mean, who knows? But maybe not. She might have agreed more after Jesus came and healed her fever. Who knows? Maybe. But what does that tell you about Peter if he has a mother-in-law? He's married. Right. You got a mother-in-law, you got a wife. So he's got a family. These guys left their family, they left everything for like three years to follow after Jesus. You think everybody's happy back at the homestead? Because they took off for three years, three and a half years, just leaving them there? Probably not. And some of these guys had families and they had to work in order to provide for their families, but they threw down their nets and left. Think they're all happy back at the homestead? Probably not. Probably thought they were jerks just running off like that. And they probably could get a bunch of people to agree with them. I can't, can you believe he ran off like that? I can't believe he just ran off with that. Who's that guy he's with? I don't know. Seems weird to me. Yeah, it's all weird. Okay. What's well, always weird? I mean, whatever. Any decision that's against or different than what everybody else is doing is always weird. And people are always looking, okay, well, what's the weird reason for this? Uh, there's always something weird. Well, whatever. And so they resolved they were going to abide with him. And so, here we have Abbasai. Closing for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit closed himself in Abbasai. And so he begins to bless David. Peace, peace. Yeah. Love it. You know, people back then needed peace too. Did you know that? Can you imagine David running from cave to cave? Hiding out from Saul. Not able to go where he wanted to go when he wanted to go. you imagine that? you imagine getting chased around the countryside by a small army of people ready to kill you? Or, I was just reading a story about David, how he went to uh, to see the priest. And he asked the priest, said, you got anything to eat? And the priest said, well, I got the, got the bread of the presents if you want to have some of that, you know. And uh, there were a couple of conditions about it and all that. And David took it. But, but, you know, there was a guy, Doeg, that was standing there. You know what Doeg was going to do, right? Snitches. 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 So David couldn't even go to the priest. David couldn't even go and, and talk to the priest, get a word from God or anything like that without getting snitched on. And then it didn't just affect him. If you know the rest of that story, Saul, you know, 
sent Doeg back to that city where those priests were and killed all the priests. He missed one, but he killed all of them. Except for one. He killed their families. The Bible goes into detail. Saul sent that Doeg back there, the Edomite, to kill every priest, every wife, every child in that city. And he did it. So it cost all those people their lives. Who? David. Was the reason. And he knew that. Don't think he needed peace? You don't think he needed peace that all those people he's responsible for living in a cave? You don't think he needed peace? You gotta provide food and some logistics and water for those people? You don't need peace for that? You know, you go down the list of David's like, like, oh, he's supposed to be the king. Well, why is he hiding? Why is he running? Peace you need. You need peace. And so you got Abisai, Amasai here, excuse me, blessing him, and the first thing he speaks over him is peace and peace. You see, there's a boldness and there's a courage that moved Amasai to speak peace over David. Because I think sometimes we don't let God to use us because we don't want to be presumptuous. Well, we need a boldness and a courage just to speak what we have. Even, you know, even if it seems obvious, even if it seems like, oh, everybody knows that. Do they? How many things you know in your mind, but you really need to hear it sometimes? I mean, really. You know, where someone will speak a word over you that, it's, I mean, it's no, you know, brain bender. The word isn't, okay? God loves you or something. But maybe that's what you need to hear today. And it's just an act of obedience to speak it. And so here's this guy, he just speaks at peace and peace. And he began to prophesy over him. So let's start with the obvious thing, peace. He, he's not afraid. He's not, he's not worried about speaking the obvious thing. Neither should we be. Speak the obvious thing. Speak what God has for you. Speak what God says. Because somebody needs to hear that. Somebody needs to receive that. Somebody that is in need may need to have that word spoken as simple as it is, as obvious as it is, it may be something that needs to enter into their ears, to enter into their spirit, into their soul in that moment. Be open to that. The simple word's important. But then he begins to prophesy and he begins to prophesy success over David. Well, again, that's an obvious word. David is obviously blessed by God. God is obviously with David. But you know what? David receives that. <laughs> you can prophesy over me success anytime you want. I'll receive it. <laughs> you can prophesy over me blessing anytime you want. I'll receive it. I will. And, and, and as, as, as weird as simple or whatever you think that is, there's something powerful about a simple word. There's something powerful about even an obvious word. And maybe David, if you read the Psalms, you realize David fluctuated like this. Maybe he was a little down that day. Maybe he was looking at the issues that were going on around him. Maybe he was getting swallowed up by his circumstances that day. Maybe it was something that was going on that happened that was against him. Maybe... He got disappointed by something that day. Well, a good word that reminds him that speaks success into his life, that speaks peace into his life. Well, that could be powerful. That could, that could be a game changer right there. Maybe something that, that would affect him and would lift him. And so, David received them. As friends. I think it's important you see this. There was a miraculous connection. A prophetic connection. That, that this man allowed the Holy Spirit to clothe himself with him. And through that clothing, he, he spoke what he was supposed to say. He prophesied what he was supposed to prophesy. He blessed what he was supposed to bless. And a connection, an instant connection was made. And he received them as friends. Only God can do that. Only God.
And and that is those supernatural connections are important in our lives. That witness that that this is God, that this person has given themselves over to the Holy Spirit. There's something powerful about that and there's something instantaneous about that kind of a connection with people. We need more of those in our lives. Because you know there's some times that we don't have time in, in the world that we're living in. We don't have time to just figure it out over time. Did you know that? That sometimes there's connections that are made that are only going to take a few minutes that are going to last eternity. And that's why it's important that we are supernatural. That's why it's important we're in a supernatural way. That's why it's important that we're living in a supernatural reality in our life. A supernatural sensitivity. A supernatural willingness to allow the Holy Spirit to speak through us and use us. A supernatural uh, just openness to receive that from the Holy Spirit. Receive that from people that come our way. That witness that takes place that this is God. And that connection that God wants to make. And so, immediately David not only receives them as friends, but then what does he do? He puts them in charge. Okay, you're in charge. Thank you. And he gives them some orders and that's it. They're off and they're going. But that's the way our God works. I was shocked, and I'll share this with you. I was shocked when I found out how rigid the church is when it comes to leadership. I was really shocked. I was really shocked to find out what was required in order to become some type of a leader or some type of a, a person that can be used in the church. Shocked. And, and as I looked at it and, and I came to this conclusion fairly quickly, it wasn't God that was requiring that, it was us. It was people because we got hurt before or we got burned before or we, we, we picked the wrong person or something happened. Pick the wrong person to leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so then all of a sudden there's 18 hoops to jump through. Mm-hmm. And so you just keep jumping through hoops and keep jumping through hoops and keep jumping through hoops. You know, we were part of a church. Me and Mary went to the same church. Uh, back in Fredonia. And there's a difference between me and Mary. Mary is the daughter of a pastor of the same denomination of the church that we went to. And I'm nobody. And so Mary showed up with her dad. I don't know if he took you there or whatever. Or something happened. But Mary's leading worship. I went to the, the pastor. I said, hey, I want to do something. You know, I, you know, some kind of ministry. I want to get involved. It's like, here you go, you can scrape the side of the house, the, the Christian education building, and then you can prime it and paint it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's what happened. Then you were the janitor. And then I became the janitor because I did such a good job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you see, because I was an unknown. And I had to prove the fact that I was willing to serve and work. She was known, not really. He didn't know her from Adam. Nope. But because of where she came from, she's leading worship. But you see, this is how it it works in, in the natural. You, you see what I'm saying? And I don't mind serving and I, I don't really care. Alright? But I, I'm just using that as an example and that's it's nothing reflecting on Mary at all. It's just the, the way things work in the natural. Right? But we don't live in the natural in that sense. We live a supernatural life. And we need that to have a better expectation, a bigger expectation in our lives than, oh, you know, we're just we're going to put everybody through the natural hoop or we're going to put everybody through the, the natural things that we think we got to do. Alright? Give it up. And let, let's live in a, in a supernatural reality. Let's let those connections happen that need to happen. Let's let the, the Holy Spirit put people together. Let, let's submit ourselves enough to, to God to trust Him. Let's submit ourselves enough to God that He can clothe Himself in us 
and, and bring about what He wants to bring about. That, that's what I believe God has for us. Alright? That's what I believe. And, and I'll tell you something that, you know, I, I am nowhere near perfect in this. But I'll tell you something. Anybody that's ever visited, anybody that's ever been a part of or seen what we do in church, think I am absolutely out of my mind. <laughs> I am totally serious. Any pastor that comes and looks and sees what I do in church, they think I'm out of my mind. They would never do that. Oh, of course not. Ever. Never. And they'll never have what you have either. Right. And there's more. I want more. Yeah. And I'm not even uh, I'm not even kidding you. Like I I'm pretty you know, I'm I'm pretty along in this, like I really believe this to the point that, you know, I live it out to the extent that I can, but I want more. I want more of this. I want I wanna I wanna be, you know, filled more. I wanna be that that's submitted to the Holy Spirit that I'm just clothing for Him. Yeah. And to see what more God wants to do. That to let go even more than that. And to see what He wants to do. Supernaturally. In the New Testament you got you got Peter, you know, you think about Peter and Jesus. And uh and Peter, you know, God blessed Peter, but he was a little bit I don't know, emotional? <laughs> All right? He's a little bit emotional. But you think about him in John 6. And, and I just heard Aaron say this today. It's like, you know, John 6, and, and, and I, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but basically came down to the disciples were left, and Jesus is like, are you going to leave too? And they didn't, didn't have anywhere else to go. And, 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 you know, Peter's among them. And he proclaimed that. He's like, I ain't got nowhere else to go. And so, they weren't going to leave. Not because they necessarily agreed, or not because they necessarily understood, or not because they necessarily could, could pinpoint any good reason to stay, <laughs> except for the fact they didn't have anywhere else to go. So, good enough, we're going to stay. Because we don't have anywhere else to go. And so, that is a certain kind of loyalty. All right, is recognizing that you just might not have anywhere else to go, and so we're going to stay. And we don't understand, we stay. We don't have all the answers, we stay. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's all. Nowhere else to go. Somebody look at Matthew sixteen sixteen. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Alright. And so, you know, here's a great moment in Peter's life. Peter, the theologian, <laughs> through his careful study of the ancient texts <laughs> and his vast knowledge of ancient languages and cultures, he came to the conclusion that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. The Son of the Living God. Nope, that's not really what happened. <laughs> we don't even know if he knew what he was saying. Um, probably not. Because Jesus is, how Jesus responded to this, he's like, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for what? Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. <laughs> no. So in other words, what Jesus is saying here is that you did not figure this out. You did not weigh all the evidence and come to this conclusion based on your vast knowledge and understanding. That's what he said to him. He's like, this is a revelation of the Holy Spirit and he spoke something you don't even really fully understand. But bless you for it. Bless you for it. Because in that moment, Peter was a suit for the Holy Spirit. And he spoke something he didn't even understand. 
But he got a blessing for it. He got a blessing for speaking that. And you you look at him, and he, he made all kinds of statements in the flesh, or he made all kinds of statements in emotion. Oh, I'll never leave you. I'll never deny you. You know, all these things he told, told Jesus and everything. And, and Jesus was with that. He's like, yeah, you'll deny me. And then he told him. Because nothing that I'm talking about tonight is an emotional decision. Nothing I'm talking about tonight is an act of your will, really, at all. You know, we don't need to make statements of loyalty. We don't need to make statements of pledging our allegiance out of our own flesh. We don't. They don't mean anything. But we need to be submitted enough to the Holy Spirit that He can clothe Himself in us and He can say what He wants to say. He can do what He wants to do and that's going to mean something. Okay? And so, uh, I want to encourage you to figure anything out tonight. Nothing to figure out. Alright? This ain't your big brain on this one. But this is a work where we submit ourselves. And, and we need to have a desire somewhere in our lives. Holy Spirit, clothe yourself in me. You know, God, teach us how to submit and make ourselves that pliable that the Holy Spirit, He just does what He wants. That He says what He wants. He produces what He wants mm -hmm. through us. That's where stuff happens. That's where alliances are made where lifelong friendships take place. That's where time and circumstances are changed in the, just the blink of an eye. That's where God does stuff. So I want to encourage you to put yourself into that place. Let's just take a moment and as we're sitting here tonight, I just want to encourage you to practice that kind of submission. Just practice it. And I encourage you, right where you're sitting tonight, just allow the Holy Spirit to clothe Himself in you. I mean, if you're in an ice cube tonight, just let yourself melt into that cool-shaped ice tray of the Holy Spirit. And take on His shape and what He has. Just melt. Spirit, we practice our submission to you. I pray that you clothe yourself with me. God, we pray for more, more supernatural. Unexplainable. 
beyond understanding. Just crazy stuff. Morris. Morgan. In Jesus' name, let's see by saying amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community that. No, yeah, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah. 